This episode of Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex podcast, is brought to you by Matching Dragoons at jonahhex.blogspot.com. Matching Dragoons, blogging each and every appearance of Jonah Hex, also featuring a Hex body count and injury list, in-depth Hex analysis, Pitchman Agogo, Salesman of Yesteryear, House Ads, and whatever else falls on Dwayne's scanner. Drop in, read for a spell, and leave a comment or two at jonahhex.blogspot.com. Big thanks to Dwayne the Canoe Guy Hendrickson for sponsoring this episode. He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex. But he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hello and welcome to Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke. This is an internet radio program devoted solely to the life and publishing history of the baddest, badass bounty hunter ever to roam the Old West, Jonah Woodson Hex. This is Episode 8, and I am Scott Gardner. Howdy! How's it going? Right off the bat, let me apologize. I am so sorry that I haven't had an episode out lately. I did not intend to go a month between last episode and this episode, I really thought that I, you know, I knew I wasn't exactly back, you know, quote unquote back, but I thought I could at least churn out an episode, you know, maybe once every two weeks, something like that. I certainly did not intend to go a full month. So for that, I do sincerely apologize. I am really, really going to put forth my, my best effort and try my hardest not to let there be such a span of time between these episodes because, believe me, I really love doing this show. I know you guys love it. I keep getting emails and messages saying, you know, when's the next one, when's the next one? So I'm, I'm trying, guys. But if you'll indulge me for just a moment, here's what's been going on with me. Here's a big old status update for you since the last time that we got together on this particular program. Last time around, I told you, you know, I was living with a buddy of mine, trying to find work and blah, 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 all that was going on. Well, a lot has happened since last episode of this program. Um, we have a house now. We uh, are renting in a beautiful town uh, called Oviedo in Florida. Absolutely gorgeous. It's about uh, 45, 50 minutes from... Uh, where I was before, which was, you know, basically right outside Walt Disney World. And uh, it's just a gorgeous town. Absolutely love it. The whole family's here now. My my wife got a transfer and promotion through her job, so that's awesome. Uh, the boys are here. They're uh, in their new schools and really enjoying it. And uh, we're just uh, doing really well. Now, I was working the last time uh, we got together, you know, on the last show. But just working... Um, a piddly part-time for peanuts kind of job that frankly I just don't really want to talk about that much it's kind of embarrassing to me but you know money's money and you, you take what comes along however about oh, several days ago as this podcast uh, is being recorded I finally got the call and it is now official I am going to be a cast member for the Walt Disney World Resort. As if that wasn't awesome enough. And you know, I've long said I would scrub toilets to work at Disney World. And I almost got the impression that that's the sort of thing I was going to end up doing, which is fine. You know, I would I would do whatever it took to get a job there. I just want to get a foot in the door. I just want to prove myself. However, 
Here's the awesome part. The job they offered to me was monorail operator. Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. I can't tell you how thrilling that is to me, how awesome that is to me. I am so excited for this. And as excited as I was for this, my youngest boy, Logan, that's his favorite thing at Walt Disney World is the monorail. You know, he, he's got uh, the monorail toy, you know, the, the full train set, you know, where it goes around on a track and everything. Uh, he has a huge pin collection. You know, there's the, the Disney pin trading things for those of you that are versed on, on Disney things. You know, and he uh, he has quite the collection, all mon- almost all monorail-based. He This boy was just beside himself when I gave him the news. Very exciting, and, uh, and I'll be starting about mid to late October, I believe. So it's a little while yet. i got to still kind of suffer through the job that I'm at. But uh, very, very exciting news. We are truly blessed. I mean, things have really fallen together. You know, we have gone from a very scary, a very low state in our lives uh, of really suffering through the economic conditions and, and that situation to things are looking so good so i don't want to jinx things i don't want to you know like i said last time around put the cart before the horse but that is the situation can't wait to start my new job my new career and uh, i'm very excited and i want to thank each and every listener and friend of the show that sent you know prayers and well wishes and good thoughts and happy feelings and all that sort of thing i really truly appreciate it very much and thank you. Moving right along, I have a quick review for you. Now, I don't know if I've mentioned it very much on this particular program, but I am a huge fan of Back Issue Magazine, which is put out by Two Morrows Publishing, uh, edited by uh, basically the, the main creative force behind this, a guy named Michael Yuri. Heck of a nice guy. Used to be editor on the Superman books a number of years back. I love this magazine. I have gone to great lengths to track down all of the (laughs) back issues to Back Issue magazine on the cheap when I could find them. I still lack, I think, three issues, but I absolutely love this thing. It's, It's just a fantastic magazine, and if you're a fan of 70s and 80s era comics, which is pretty much where the focus of this magazine lies then you're doing your, yourself a disservice if you're not reading back issue. However, the latest issue, or at least the latest issue I'm aware of as I record this, the latest one I've got my hands on, was number 42, the uh, August 2010 issue, and it's the Wild West issue. Right on the cover has uh, a huge uh, wanted dead or alive poster of Jonah Hex. Now, they switched the cover on this. The one that was originally solicited was a redo of the cover to... God, I want to get this right, and I'm probably going to get it wrong. I'm going to say it was All-Star Western number 12. It's the one where Jonah was fighting off the the buzzards that were attacking the boy and the horse that were on the ground, and Jonah's shirt's all ripped. I'm pretty sure that's number 12. I could look it up, but I'm lazy. Anyway, they switched the cover. I don't like this new cover as much. It's not bad, don't get me wrong, but he looks like he's dressed like a Boy Scout. I just don't care for it. It's not his regular hat. He's got this big scarf-looking thing on. It just doesn't look enough like the traditional Dizaniga Jonah Hex to me. And it is drawn by Dizaniga. I just don't like it as much. Anyway, minor quibble, but I thought it was worth mentioning. However... It's, you know, emblazoned on this cover. Michael Fleischer discusses Jonah Hex in a rare interview. Now, I seldom, seldom have anything negative to say about Back Issue magazine. In fact, it's usually, it's almost always completely the reverse. Back Issue continues to amaze me with its ability to... You know, Back Issue magazine is almost always focused on one subject. You know, like, uh, they'll do a whole issue on... Uh, sci-fi or a whole issue on uh, you know beast-like characters or, or you know magic-based characters or men of metal or something to that effect. Well, 
Not long ago, they did an entire issue that was focused on war comics. Now, I can't stand war comics. You know, it's just not my thing. I'm not interested in it. However, like I do with every issue, I ended up reading that thing cover to cover and was fascinated by it. Really, really enjoyed it. It's just a really good and interesting magazine, even if the genre is not something that you're particularly interested in. They make it engaging and lively and interesting to you, and you'll learn things that you didn't know. And I I like that sort of thing. That's what I look for in reading material. However, I cannot tell you how monumentally disappointed I was in the Jonah Hex portion of this magazine, which primarily was the reason I picked this one up. You know, there's a lot of other great articles in this one as well. You know, there's a a whole article about the Rawhide Kid, about Two-Gun Kid in, in his stint in the Avengers um, Vigilante, DC's other Western characters, Red Wolf, Caleb Hammer, the original Knight Rider, stuff like that. You know, all that stuff's interesting to me, but I came to this magazine because I wanted to hear, or read rather, Michael Fleischer talk about his work on Jonah Hex. And this is one of those interviews that makes me wonder, why did you bother to even print this? It's one of those interviews that I can't stand with a creator where... Through the entire thing, every question they're asked is answered with some variation of, gee, that was a long time ago, gee, I don't remember, oh, did I do that, Um, or let me tell you about what, you know, goofy hippie thing I'm into now and I'm not really interested in comic books anymore. And it was really, really disappointing because I was so looking forward, you know, for months I've known that this issue was coming out and I was just so disappointed in it. It really doesn't say anything. You know, I would much rather they had just done an opinion piece or a history of the character or something to that effect rather than this just very lame and disappointing interview, so-called interview, with Michael Fleischer. Now, who is Michael Fleischer and what is his connection to Jonah Hex, you ask? Well, stay tuned. We'll be getting into that before too long. That being said... It's still, the magazine as a whole, I feel, is still worth picking up. Just be prepared that that article is not terribly interesting. But some of the uh, original art and different things that they have in here for Jonah, Scalp Hunter, and a lot of the other characters, this is the sort of thing that always makes Back Issue Magazine worth picking up. So it's kind of a, a mixed review because I didn't like the Jonah Hex portion of it, but if you're at all interested in other Western characters beyond Jonah Hex, and just want to see some really cool and very rare Jonah Hex art, particularly some art by uh, other artists. There's a whole color feature right in the middle of the book. It's a a sort of Jonah Hex gallery. Uh, That's really, really cool. So that was uh, Back Issue Magazine number 42. Okay, at this point, let's get into some emails. We have just a couple for this week. You guys are slacking off. So let's get to those. First one up says, Answer about Jonah Hex Showcase. Says, The answer to your question about the outlaw stories resides in how DC paid royalties. They changed how they paid reprint royalties to the writers and artists. I don't own the showcase, since I own all the originals, so I don't know where the showcase cuts off in its Hex tales, but I do know that it cuts off right at the time when the royalty payment method changed. Therefore, DC elected not to run the stories that would fall under the new royalty method. Huh, man, that seems like dirty pool, doesn't it? He continues, will the newer stories get reprinted? There have been rumors, and we can only hope. And in a personal note, he adds, keep your chin up regarding the job search. As a person who hasn't held a job for longer than 10 years, I can tell you that every job you get is only training for the next job you get. We're rooting for you out here. And this is from Dwayne the Canoe Guy Hendrickson, who I mentioned at the beginning of the show. He is the man behind Matching Dragoons, which can be found at jonahex.blogspot.com. Be absolutely sure to stop by and check that site out. It's cool. You'll like it. Thank you, Dwayne. And thanks for sponsoring the episode. Next one up is simply entitled Feedback, and this one is from James R. Lunsford Sr., He says, Hey Scott, sorry to hear you're having some personal problems, but I've been unemployed for about 14 months now. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. 
since I've taken the opportunity to go back to school and get my certification as a Microsoft Certified Information Technology Professional, or IT guy, and I love this, he spells it I as E-Y-E, like your eyeball, T-E-E, IT guy, I love that. Since I've always wanted to work with computers, so getting laid off at the age of 50 will probably mean that I'll get to do something I really like for the rest of my working life. One door closes, another one opens. Every cloud has a silver lining, yada, 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 blah, 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 woof, 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 all that jazz. (laughs) Well, you know what's funny, uh, James, is that I did the same thing. You know, when I first got laid off, I, I spent the first several months, like, vigorously hunting work because... You know, I've been on my ass before. You know, I've been out of work before, and but never for any great length of time. I, I think the longest unemployment stint I ever had was a couple weeks. And, I mean, I've been working since I was a kid. And uh, so this whole economic downturn thingy, it really took me completely by surprise because, you know, I've, I've had a lot of different jobs. I have a lot of different skills. Um, I've always been snapped up quickly. And so this really, really threw me for a loop. So anyway, after after a while, I did the same thing. I went back to school, and I did pretty much the same thing. I went to a, a, a local uh, tech school and took, what do they call it, computer information systems. But uh, I, I just, when I got out of the program, I still didn't feel like it gave me the edge or the skills that I truly needed to go out there and, and pursue that particular line, which was disappointing because I put a hell of a lot of time, money, and effort into this thing uh, because, you know, like you, I wanted to work with computers as well. But anyway, long story short, I got this, uh, you know, this this great job waiting for me, you know, in a, in a little under a month. So I can't complain. Everything's worked out fine. And like I say, I'm sure this looks really good on my resume. It's probably part of what helped me get the the job that I'm going to start into. And I'm sure I'll be infinitely more happy, you know, driving the monorail at first and then whatever pans out for me with Disney than I could have been with any other career path. So it all worked out in the long run. And uh, I sincerely hope that you have a similar success story. Anyway, James continues, on to the good stuff. I love the podcast. Then again, I love everything associated with Jonah Hex. Let me start off by saying that I've been reading comic books for about 45 years. Wow. Hats off to you, sir. He says, since the mid-60s, and Jonah Hex was the first comic book that I actively collected. Back in those days, there weren't any comic book stores, per se, But there was this little secondhand bookstore called Olga Snyder's that had a used comic book bin. Most of the covers were torn off, and they weren't in great shape, but you could get them for a nickel or a dime for the 80-page giants. Oh, man. Those were the days. It says, you could also trade in used books for credit. Every week or so, I'd go and grab a big stack of books, trading in the ones I'd gotten the week before, except for any Jonah Hexes that I could find. Back then, collecting meant a dusty stack of books in the corner, but I kept them. Fast forward 30 years, I just about jumped out of my skin when I heard they were making a Jonah Hex movie, and of course I was there first day, first showing. Was it the greatest movie ever? Not by a long shot. Was it Hex? Most definitely. I went to show my support, and I think that if a lot of other people had done the same, we might have gotten another, better Hex. From what I'm hearing, though, more people trashed the movie sight unseen before it came out than supported it. Oh well, I got to see my favorite comic book character on the screen at least once. I may be in the minority, but I liked the movie. When a donkey flies, you don't blame him for not staying up that long. (laughs) You know, that's an excellent point, and... uh... I don't know that I personally bashed or trashed the movie before it came out... I, I hope I didn't. I hope I don't sound, you know, completely full of crap saying this. It's just for me, I avoided the movie simply because I know myself well enough to know just by seeing the trailers that I saw. And I watched several of them because there were several different ones that they released. I watched, you know, all the different trailers I could find. I read everything I could, you know, find talking to you know, the director and the stars and just different people that were involved, Jimmy Palmiotti and all these different folks, I gleaned enough information from all of that to realize I wasn't going to like this movie. It, it, I'm, 
when it comes to certain characters or certain properties, um, say Superman, Star Wars, Star Trek, you know, any geek thing that I feel really passionately about that I hold very near and dear to my heart, I get very anal retentive about these things. And I like them to be handled in a certain way. And when they're not, it just, you know, it, it sets off the raging beast that dwells within me. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't go to the, to the theater to see this movie only because I, I really expected it was just going to piss me off. That said, though, I do look forward to watching it on DVD when it gets released. You know, a part of that, too, is that the movies are just so damn expensive now. You know, I, I literally, I just don't have the money to, to risk anymore. And I hate that. You know, back when I was a kid, you know, I, we went to see every movie. We went to see movies that we knew were going to suck just because you could, you know, because it was something to do and it was a cheap form of entertainment. Now... You know, at least for me and my family, movies are an event. It's got to be the big movie for that year. You know, we'll, we'll go see... At this point, we've gone from seeing everything that would come out to maybe two or three of the biggest of the big blockbusters for, you know, any given year. And that's about it. And that kills me. I hate that. Because I, I want to support the movies. I love going to the movies. But it's just too stinking expensive. So, Anyway, sorry for that long tangent. But I, I just felt like it was worth explaining why my ass wasn't in the theater seat for the Jonah Hex movie. It, by all rights, it probably should have. You know? And you're, you're right. If, you're, if you are calling me out on it, you're probably right to call me out on it. I probably should have gone and shown my support. But to me, it was... It was a personal call of I'd rather avoid it, you know, if it, if it is doing a disservice to the character rather than go and, and support it and give encouragement to these Hollywood people that just keep doing this sort of thing. You know, taking a, a beloved property and just screwing it up. And honestly, the only way to send a clear message to any of these people is monetarily you know by withholding your money <laughs> so that was the reason behind my choice anyway james continues now the podcast coming so soon after the hex movie or at least i discovered it after the movie i was in hex heaven this is one of my must-have podcasts oh well thank you i appreciate you saying that says i like everything you're doing with it i like the dialects and phonetic readings that you do you read a letter from the letters page where the writer wrote his entire letter in hex speak I'm glad you didn't do that for the whole podcast. It would be pretty hard to listen to. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't even make it through it both reading it in, you know, to myself, but then trying to read it aloud was no, I couldn't do it. I, it would it would be supremely annoying and aggravating because it's annoying and aggravating to me to to even try to make it through something like that. He says you also mentioned that you were going to do a podcast for every issue. Does that include story arcs? I seem to remember at least a few. El Papagayo, the parrot, uh, and Turnbull were two characters that I think had story arcs covering multiple issues. You may want to condense those, uh, and also, if because of the situation you can't get out a weekly Hex podcast, maybe do one every so often, maybe a little longer, and cover multiple issues. But however it turns out, I've enjoyed the seven that did come out immensely. Hope to see more, but real life takes precedence, so take care of yourself. And that's from James R. Lundford Sr., Thank you very much, James. I really, really appreciate your letter. Um, I, I love encouraging letters like this uh, from people that are really enjoying the show. To address your last point, uh, no, I really intend to keep the show with uh, on an issue-per-issue issue basis. I, I, I just like that format better. It allows me to really delve into issues that much better. At least you know, when there are issues that warrant really going in-depth. There will be some issues where it's like, I'll get to the end of it and go, eh, you know, and I won't have that much to say. But for the most part, you know, I'll find something to, to glean out of every issue. And when it comes to multi-part stories like that, I think it's more fun to break them down uh, issue per issue rather than lump it all together uh, under one episode. Although I do see the appeal to that as well. 
But no, the the show was originally conceived as each episode will cover one issue. So for the time being, anyway, that's the way I uh, intend to keep it. Um, the only time that that might change up is when you know I'm covering a regular Hex issue, and then Hex appears in some other magazine, which that'll happen eventually. You know, Hex started to pop up in other titles, you know, for guest shots and things like that. I'll more than likely cover both of those in one episode when that sort of thing happens. But again, thank you very much for your uh, for your email, and the rest of you out there, write in. Let me know what you're thinking about the show. Uh, you know, your bitches, gripes, complaints, as well as your uh, words of encouragement and the things that you're liking about the show. I, you know, if there's room for improvement or you guys have ideas of things that you'd like me to be doing, I definitely want to hear those sorts of things. So don't be shy. Write in, let me know what's in your head. And with that, we are going to go into our main feature for this episode. We're going to look at Weird Western Tales, number 17. This is the April-May 1973 issue. Original cover price, 20 cents covers by Tony DiZaniga, and it depicts Jonah Hex astride general, and he rides up to a gruesome scene of a, of a hanged and barefoot man whose boots lie on the ground, and whose hat is pinned by a bowie knife to a sign reading, Last Warning, Do Not Pass This Point. It's a great cover. You know, what with the, you know, there's this giant blood-red sun behind Jonah, there's these foggy wisps in the air. It kind of looks like early morning, like like Hex is riding up on this, you know, at, at well, I was going to say at daybreak, but the uh, the sun is pretty high in the sky behind him. But still, it it, it gives me the impression of you know early morning, uh, and it's cool because you know there's this uh, breath coming out of uh, General's mouth and muzzle, you know, like uh, like like wispy breath you would see on a on a cold morning. It's a really nice cover. I, I like it a whole lot. The only issue I have with it is that Jonah's still wearing that ugly striped hat and not his Confederate one. But it's a minor quibble. Really a fantastic uh, cover. And this is one that I wouldn't mind having seen on the, uh, the Jonah Hex showcase. This could have been a really cool cover for that rather than the one that they did go with. Story credits are presented on the last panel of the story, but they are as follows. Editor, Joe Orlando. Story, John Albano. And art, Tony DiZaniga. This is Jonah Hex in The Hangin' Woman. Our story begins with the tail end of a bank heist by three scruffy-looking desperados, who toss a lit bundle of dynamite at the frightened bank employees, then ride off as the bank is destroyed. The opening captions read, Three savage desperados performing an unconscionable atrocity and riding off without fear of being pursued and apprehended, for within some territories of the West lived men who preferred to live in fear and cowardice, thus allowing hordes of tyrannical thieves and murderers to plunder and kill whomever and whenever they choose. And against such evil forces, how much resistance can one unaided lawman offer? Very little. And the sheriff is blown to bits by a stick of dynamite tossed at him by the fleeing bandits. The snagglepuss-looking redneck runs out and says, Somebody just robbed the bank and killed the sheriff! Another guy, who looks a hell of a lot like Jed Clampett to me, says, It was that maniac, Dynamite Devlin, him and two of his gang. There they go, a-heading out of town. The scene changes to Jonah Hex, and he's sitting in, I guess this would probably be uh, either a hotel or the saloon, and the proprietor walks up to him and says, Didn't you just hear what's going on out there, mister? Don't killing and robbery mean more to you than them vittles? And Jonah's got his coffee mug in one hand. He's got his fork with what looks like a piece of steak on the other, and he says, Nope. Now shut your mouth and pour me another cup of coffee. Now the first panel 
of the next page, page three, offers one of my favorite poses of Jonah Hex. Now, he's not doing anything terribly dynamic. He's just walking down the street, and, you know, he's calmly smoking a cigarette while all these town folk watch him saunter by. But it's a great piece of art. In this pose, in this picture, he just exudes badass. And these town folks are watching him, and some of the men are talking amongst themselves, and they say, Ain't that the gunfighter Jonah Hex? Sure is. He's a paid killer. Never helps anybody less than he gets money. And the old-timer says, If you ask me, he's yellow. Bet he earned his reputation shooting men in the back, or when they were sleeping. Hex gets to the livery stable and uh, is getting his horse. He's mounting up. And this little boy's standing there, and he says, Mr. Hex? Jonah just has a big question mark in his word bubble. And the little boy says, My name is Ned Houghton, and I'm going to be a gunfighter just like you in a short spell. Then if any robbers enter this town, pow! I've been doing plenty of target practice by shooting at tin cans. You have, huh? Well, you just keep doing that, boy, because tin cans is the best things to shoot at. Why's that, Mr. Hex? Because tin cans don't shoot back and kill you. So make sure whatever it is you're risking your neck for is worth dying for. But as Hex starts to head out, he finds his way blocked by the men of the town who want to know why Hex did nothing to stop the murdering thieves. Jonah observes that every last one of the men has two hands, same as he does, so why didn't they do their own stopping? At that moment, a feisty old bird of a woman pushes her way through the crowd in her wheelchair and engages Hex's services to recover her money. She tells Hex that she owns the bank and most everything else worth owning in the territory, and that she's charged not only with the return of the money, but also hanging the thieves. Hex accepts the job for $100 a head, and the old woman identifies herself as Judge Hatchet. As she then rides off with her sons, Jonah stands watching her go, remarking to himself, I'll be doggone, a female judge. Little Ned Houghton, however, corrects Jonah. The hanging woman is what they call Judge Hatchet, Mr. Hex. She don't believe in mercy for any criminal. Never bothers with jail sentences. Hangs them all, she does. Well, that's her business. As Hex heads into the general store, he says, Only thing I can't figure. What's that, Mr. Hex? Why'd she have me replace the sheriff to get those thieves? Could have saved a heap of money by just sending them gun-toting sons of hers after him. Reckon it's because her sons are too busy. I'm burning and poisoning... Ned, shut your mouth! The shopkeeper interrupts. And Hex lights another cigarette, thinking to himself... The old woman and her son got this whole town spooked. Sometime later, having reported to Judge Hatchet's ranch, Jonah is given the suspected location of the bandit's hideout, an abandoned miner's shack in the hills. And at dawn the following morning, Jonah finds that the judge's info is spot on and leads him right to the bandit's hideout. One of the men comes out to relieve their lookout. He calls to the shadowy figure leaning against a tree, but the figure steps out to reveal not his buddy Clem, but Jonah Hex. Hex gives the man the option to surrender his weapon or face off against him, but the fool tries to outdraw Jonah and is quickly and dramatically gunned down by the bounty hunter. Inside the shack, one of the guys says, Somebody gun Tex! And Dynamite Delvin says, Who the blazes could it have been? I blasted the sheriff after the robber. Ain't nobody else in that town got the grit to come after us. The third fellow says, Dynamite! That tree! Somebody's behind. Shut up, I see him. And he's in for a little surprise. Somebody open that door. Dynamite throws a bundle of dynamite at the tree. He says, This'll blow that buzzard from his perch. There's a giant explosion and all three men go walking out. Dynamite says, That finished him right quick. You boys keep a watch out for any other intruder while I see if I recognize who the corpse is. As he walks up, he makes a discovery. He says, What? It's our own lookout. Somebody stuck him up in that. Dynamite stops dead in his tracks as a gun is put to his head and the hammer's cocked back. One of the fellas sees this happening. He goes running back. He says, Willie, back to the shack, quick. What's wrong? Why'd you tell me to... And we see a word balloon coming from a distance that says, Marty, Willie, it's me, Dynamite. And Marty says... That's what's wrong. Listen. Dynamite says, Hex! J Jonah Hex! He's got a 44 stuck in my ear. You know this man. He'll use it. Lesson you give yourselves up. Inside the shed, Willie says, What are we going to do, Marty? 
Marty lights a stick of dynamite and says, We're going to keep Dynamite's share of the bank money. Open the door for me this time, Willie. And I'll blow both Hex and our leader all the way into the next. And with Delvin held in front of him, we see Jonah fire off a couple of rounds. As Marty says, State! The rounds hit him. He falls backward, dropping the dynamite. As Willie leans down to check on his friend, we see the lit bundle of dynamite set off all the rest of the dynamite that's in the shack. And the next panel is awesome. The shack is blown to smithereens. And we see the force of the blast knocking both Hex and Delvin for a loop. So sometime later at Judge Hatchet's ranch, one of her sons says, Ma, that ugly gunfighter's coming up the trail. Only has one prisoner with him, though. He must have let the others get away. And she says, I've heard a lot about that man, Bart. And if what I heard is true, he won't be returning unless his mission was completed. Now go fetch a good strong length of rope. So presently out in her yard, we see Jonah saying, And you're lucky the thieves had your money stored in that iron box, kept it from being destroyed in the explosion. A commendable job, Mr. Hex. I congratulate you. And now, Mr. Daniel Delvin, alias Dynamite Delvin, you are charged with crimes of robbery and murder. How do you plead? And Delvin, as the uh, noose is put around his neck, says, Ha! As if it would make any difference how I pleaded. Come on, hanging woman, get it over with. As you wish. I find the defendant, Mr. Daniel Delvin, guilty as charged and sentence him to be hanged. Sentence to be carried out immediately. And one of her sons whips the horse that uh, Delvin is sitting on. As the horse runs away, Delvin is hanged. There's a really nice panel of uh, Hex. His face kind of shadowed a bit by his hat. Kind of Phantom Stranger style, really. And he's putting a cigarette in his mouth. The judge is sitting there in her chair. We see the hanged man's boots in the background. And uh, two hound dogs just kind of looking around. One of them sort of looking up at the body. And she says, May God have mercy on his wicked soul. One moment, Mr. Hex. You're a lethal force I'd like to have available on a permanent basis. Is there any reason you can't stay in these parts for a spell? I'll be in town for a day or two more. But then I'll be moving on. Don't know why. But having me around seems to make people a mite jumpy. So two days later, a few miles from town, Hex hears gunshots, and a moment later, from behind some cover, he sees the judge's sons go riding past him. Jonah's curiosity gets the better of him, and he goes to investigate. He finds a homestead ablaze and hears a child within coughing and calling frantically for her paw. So Hex charges into the burning building, and we see a child's dialogue saying, <coughs> Pa, I can't find my way out of... <coughs> Keep talking, kid, so I can find y'all. And Hex comes across the little girl. <coughs> my pa, where? <coughs> we'll find him in a minute, youngster. Now let me get my coat over your head, and we'll go where it ain't so warm, huh? So outside, Hex puts the girl on his horse... And she asks, did you find my paw, mister? And he tells her that he didn't, and asks her if she has any relatives living around the area. And she says that her grandma and grandpa live in town, and her brother Ned is visiting them right now. And Hex says, all right, well, that's what we're head for. In the last panel of this page, the little girl asks, but what about my paw? He'll be worried about me. Hex says, your daddy, don't worry. He knows you know how to take care of yourself. And he had to go away on a trip. A mighty long trip. And as they ride away, we are made witness to what Jonah has already seen. The girl's father, hands tied behind his back, hanging dead in a nearby tree. In town, Hex turns the girl over to her grandparents. The grandfather thanks Hex for what he did, saying that he expected something like this when his son refused to sell his crops to Hatchet. He tells the full scheme on the racket the old woman has going in this town, cheating and stealing everything of value from the locals, and then selling the goods east for a fat profit. Suddenly, the old man realizes that when Ned goes home and sees the homestead and his father, he might try something foolish on his own. So Hex rides off in pursuit of the boy. He arrives at the homestead and realizes that the hung man's weapon is missing. He then spurs General on to the judge's ranch, where he finds the old woman and her sons flogging the boy and about to hang him. Jonah asks the judge just how many old men and children her sons have killed anyway. 
He heaps insults on her boys, taunting them to fire, but the judge orders them not to be goaded into a showdown with the gunfighter. Finally, Hex turns and begins to walk away from them. They're about to draw on him when he suddenly whirls and shoots them both. I knew if I showed them two filthy coyotes my back, they couldn't resist gunning me. He goes over to Ned. Come on, boy. Gotta get you to a dock right quick. That hole in your shoulder needs plugging up. But the judge, sitting in her wheelchair, draws a weapon of her own from beneath the blanket over her legs. Under the circumstances, an undertaker would be more appropriate, Mr. Hex, for both of you. Now hold that young criminal's head up, gunfighter. I want to place the bullet right between his eyes. Then I'll deal with you. Hex rears up and kicks the old woman. The gun goes flying, but then so does her wheelchair. In the next panel, we see that it's actually speeding back toward the edge of a cliff. I'm rolling towards Hex! Help me! There's a great panel of Hex running full out, his hat flying off his head. And he's trying to get to the wheelchair as quick as he can, as it tips over backwards and she goes flying. Help me! Oh my god! We see Hex does actually manage to grab the wheelchair, but it's too late. She's fallen out of it and over the cliff. It's a great panel of Hex staring, and his eye in the scarred side of his face is really wide. But it's hard to tell if it's really from shock or not, because that eye is frequently drawn as being very large anyway. But I think it's supposed to be where he has kind of a shocked expression on his face. We see the word SNAP! with an exclamation point at the end. Next panel, Jonah just calmly tosses the wheelchair over the side as well. He goes back over to Ned. Let's go, boy. The hanging woman. Did she fall off in the mountain? Down into the rapids? And as Hex and the boy ride off on General with another horse in tow, Jonah says, Not quite. Her scarf got tangled on some brush. Sometimes, boy, fate meets out its own kind of justice. And over the side of the cliff, we see the hanging woman hanged on a tree branch. I don't have a whole lot on this one. I like this story. It's not one of my favorites, although it does have one of my absolute favorite Jonah Hex kills of all of his many, many kills. One thing I really do like, though, is uh, page four, sixth panel. We get a light, nice little exchange here between the uh, judge and Jonah, and she says to him, Not everyone has your bark, Mr. Hex. You're the type that's in, uh, dependent on no one but yourself, a real loner, right? To which Hex says, The more I see of people, old woman, the more I choose to be alone. I think that's very definitive Jonah right there. The art, as always in this issue, is fantastic. I really like page six, the bottom three panels, where Hex basically challenges the guy to a draw, and the guy foolishly takes him up on it, and the middle of those bottom three panels, the one where Hex is actually gunning the guy, that's man, that's a great panel. The next one's really good, too, with uh, Hex standing over the body and going, wrong choice, skunk. I love that. And we see the, the guy's body laying there, and... Uh, water from a barrel is pouring out in a couple of streams over you know where the where the rounds would have hit into the barrel and punctured holes in it i really like that it's very dynamic nice piece of art some nice explosions in this with all the use of dynamite that's pretty cool too and i liked that angle of uh of this bank robber covering his tracks and making his getaway with the use of uh of dynamite it's pretty brutal but it's also kind of neat love pages 11 and 12 where Hex, who you can't really define. Is he a hero? Is he a villain? He's not really either. Sometimes he has elements of both. Sometimes in the same story. But this, where he rescues the little girl, I like that. It shows that he's not just a completely irredeemable dirtbag character. That, you know, he has his good parts, too. Just like any person. You know, every person, they can be the most despicable person there is. But there's probably something in there somewhere where they would do a good deed for somebody. And then on the other hand, there's a lot of quote-unquote good people who under certain circumstances will do something shady. But I like this with Hex, that we, we get to see both sides of him all the time. You know, And like I say, frequently in the same issue, he, he can be uh, very good and then turn around and be completely vicious. I like that. And, and this sequence where he rescues the little girl 
just the way his entire demeanor changes. You know, he he's this tough as nails, vicious bastard. But then in this part, he's very kind and gentle with this little girl as he rescues her and, and takes her to her grandparents. I, I really like that. I think it says a lot for who he really is. Likewise with uh, with Ned, the little boy. I, I like the fact that, you know, none of this stuff that's going on concerns Jonah at all. You know, and everybody is always accusing him of being all about the money. You know, uh, you know, he only operates for money. He only kills for money. He only rescues for money. You know, he only cares about money. Well, we see here that that's not true. I mean, in this particular story, it's the judge that's paying Jonah, yet he goes to the rescue of this little boy. What's in it for him? N nothing. But he's doing the right thing. I almost, I kind of wonder too. Did Hex even get paid in this in this story? I guess he he would have between uh, you know after he brought uh, Delvin in, and uh, you know and the and the judge said you know that she'd like to have him around for a few days. I, I guess before he left, he probably would have gotten his money, but we didn't see it happen. My favorite part of this whole thing, of course, is where he literally kicks an old crippled woman off a cliff. <laughs> you know, in this particular story, she was his bread and butter for the moment. And this is how the story ends with him. Now, here's the big thing. Here's the question on page 16. It's the uh, next to last panel. She's got him dead to rights. You know, she's she's got her weapon drawn on both him and the little boy. She's about to fire. He rears up, and there's a great panel. It just says, thump, and it shows him kicking. And it's hard to see, is he kicking the gun out of her hand? Is he kicking her? Is he kicking the wheelchair? It's a little bit vague on what he what the kick is actually doing. And here's the big thing. Did he intend to kick this old woman off the cliff? I don't think so. I think he really meant to just disarm her or, or kick her back, kick her out of the way, just basically to get out of the path of this crazy old woman with her gun so that neither he or the kid got shot. But in the end, you know, the result is still the same. The old woman plummets off the cliff. And the reason I don't think he intended this is when she, you know, when he realizes what's about to happen, you know, when she calls out to him, you know, help me, help me. He does try to help her. I mean, the first panel on the last page of her going over, Hex is running flat out. I mean, his, his legs are fully extended. He's trucking just as fast as he can to try to grab this rotten old bitch before she goes off the cliff. And he does actually manage to snag the thing, but, you know, it's too late. And that look that I talked about, it, it does look like he's kind of horrified by the whole thing. But then I think it's all summed up perfectly by the next panel of Hex just very casually just chucking the wheelchair over the side. You know, there's there's no hang in his head. You know, there's no tears shed. There's no, you know, shaking his head going, damn, you know, I, I could have done better. I should have I saved her. There's just, you know chucking the wheelchair over the side i think that says everything right there it's, it's great i love it i love you know like i say not the best story but i just i like this element of this story i i really enjoy that and uh it, it plays out a little bit different than it was in my memory in my memory he just he flat out kicked her off the cliff you know with with no compunction whatsoever and it's not quite that way. I really don't think he meant to kick her off the cliff, but it doesn't change my enjoyment. I still love it. I like when when the villain, the villain, especially when they're a, a nasty villain, I love it when they they meet a, a, a just fate like that. And uh, and this very much has that. Uh, um, not quite a Twilight Zone, maybe like a like a Tales from the Crypt or something, you know, one of those poetic, you know, ironic twist endings to it, you know, where she and she herself, the hanging woman ends up hanged at the end of the story. You got to love stuff like that. I, I certainly do. And I enjoy it in this. This story is reprinted in several places. 
It's reprinted in Jonah Hex and Other Western Tales, number three from 1979. Also in the Jonah Hex Welcome to Paradise trade paperback from 2010. And it's in the Showcase Presents Jonah Hex trade paperback, volume one from 2005. Also in this issue, there was an El Diablo story called The Demon of Bad Rock Mountain by Kerry Bates with art by Alfredo Alcala. I gotta be honest, I didn't care for the art in this one. I'm not the biggest Alfredo Alcala fan anyway, and this story right here is a perfect example why. His, he's got a typically heavy, heavy, heavy inking style that just makes everything look very dark and, and black and i just never really was a fan of that when i remember when he was drawing swamp thing well after alan moore left that was one of the reasons i finally ended up dropping that book was alcala's inking style i just don't care for it once again i'm sad to report that the ads in this one there's really not anything of note there's not any really truly great ads it's just a lot of your standard comic book ads of this time you know, the the bodybuilding and a thing about Lincoln pennies and stuff like that. Although, I think I failed to point this out before. Several of these issues have had some really cool Aurora model car ads. And the one in this one's really neat. I can't describe the art style that's in here, but it's really cool. It's something like you would see out of, like, Charlton Comics. And uh, I really like it. It's very 70s, but it's still very cool. I really uh, get a kick out of that sort of thing. But that's about the only one that really jumped out at me. However, on the letters page, titled Trail Talk, by the way, I don't know if I've ever pointed that out before. There's a great letter here that I want to read to you because I think you'll get a kick out of it. This one says, Dear Joe, I must disagree with the unabashed praise the Jonah Hex strip received from the letters you've published. I have known people who kill for money, i.e. mercenary soldiers, and a serious comparison of their stories with Jonah Hex's would elicit nothing but laughter. Jonah Hex is not a three-dimensional character. No superhero is, and Jonah Hex certainly falls into the superhero mold. <laughs> he does? <laughs> anyway, this guy goes on. Even Denny O'Neill's Green Lantern Green Arrow strip is no more than a representation of the battle between good and evil. The heroes representing all that is good and just and humane and the villains representing all that is not. Such characterizations are called archetypes. The deviations in the personalities and actions of these archetypes constitute all the reality in the superhero strip. The basic plot structure in heroic fiction is 1. Villain plots against hero or innocent. 2. Hero perceives plot and discovers villain is responsible. And 3. Hero brings retribution down on villain's head. This plot structure demands such simplified characterizations. To say this does not apply to Jonah Hex is to say the strip is a realistic portrayal of life in the Old West, and if you think that, you might as well stop reading here. People have an instinctive drive to succeed. The reader vicariously satisfies this need when he identifies with the superhero. This not only makes the defeat he receives in real life more bearable, but also inspires him to continue in his struggle for a better life by giving him a model to emulate. Jonah Hex, however, is counterproductive. It pictures a paranoid existence in which callous ruthlessness can only be met with the same. Heroes think and behave mostly as villains, and so in terms of social behavior, they become villains. Villains then become heroes. This is the ultimate immorality. Society cannot survive if its members follow the example of Jonah Hex. This is from Don Eiler, Kent, Ohio. And my reaction to this was, come on, dude, are you freaking serious? For one thing, one of the things I love about Jonah, at least in the early issues, now I'll grant you, for a time, and every once in a while, even so far we may have seen it once or twice, Jonah does get a little formulaic. You know, the stories, I'll, I'll, I'll grant him, some of them do come down just like he described. Villain plots something, hero discovers it, hero foils villain. I'll, I'll give you that. To a certain degree, this very story is sort of like that. However, I think you have to look no further than the very first Hex story, the Welcome to Paradise story. I mean, that's a great example of 
you know, I mean, it's got the, the David Banner ending to it, you know? You, you can hear the sad music at the end as, as Jonah walk, you know, rides off defeated. I love that. And a lot of Jonah Hex stories end that way. Jonah doesn't always walk out of these things unscathed. A lot of times, there is a, a morally ambiguous ending to the story. Sometimes there's no ending other than it doesn't end satisfactorily for Jonah. And a lot of times I would even say that uh, Jonah Hex stories have sort of an Indiana Jones ending to them, where if you ever noticed, really I don't know why Indiana Jones has such a great reputation, because he never recovers the item he's sent for. You know, he always ends up using it or giving it away or it gets taken from him or something like that. A lot of that sort of thing happens to Jonah Hex. In the end, he'll end up giving up the bounty or giving up the money he was making or, or going to make or whatever because he finds out the person he's working for is a scumbag and he's got to kill him. I don't see Jonah Hex as a hero. I don't see him, definitely don't see him as a superhero. And I really don't see him as falling completely into the formula that this guy is complaining about. I'm thinking this guy read one or two Jonah Hex stories and, and made some pretty wild assumptions here. There was a response given in the issue, which is, Dear Don, Jonah Hex is not a villain. He does not seek to do injustice. He does not go out to harm anyone. He wishes to be left alone. But being a man such as he is, he finds himself caught up in situations that demand his acting in a violent way. We have never portrayed the violence as something that should be emulated. Rather, we have taken all possible steps to assure that it is ugly and very much undesirable. Violence does exist in the world, and to pretend it doesn't would be an injustice, and to show violence but not show it as being ugly would be even worse. Hex has been involved with death, and it is always portrayed in a sorrowful way. When he kills, it is not because he wants to kill, but because he is forced to. You know, what's funny is I take issue with that as well. Um, that's not always true. Sometimes we see where... Uh, Hex takes a good amount of pleasure in some of the killing that he has to do, especially when it's a he-needed-killing type of situation. I mean, you never see Jonah, you know, dance a jig after he kills somebody, but there's a lot of times where you can imagine Jonah's doing the, the head nod going, mm -hmm. he's very satisfied with a kill that he's just made because he felt it was the right thing to do. What's funny is that the very next letter, which I won't read, but the very next one just goes on really praising the title, and uh, it's another one along the lines of Jonah's the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I really get a kick out of that. And with that, that brings us to The Death Count. Now, right up front, I want to say I'm counting The Lookout as an off-panel kill of Jonah Hex's. I believe he was already dead long before his compatriots blew him up with dynamite. So that's one killed off-panel, three outdrawn, Two blown up real good. Actually, one of them was shot first as well, but it was unclear whether he was dead before he got blown up. And one old crippled woman kicked off a cliff. So that's seven people killed by Jonah Hex this issue. Death count, the overall tally so far. With this episode, I want to note that I'm changing the already dead category to off-panel kills. So we have a total of three off-panel kills, 23 shot, four outdrawn, two allowed to die, two blown up real good, one stabbed, one chased off a cliff, and one kicked off a cliff. That's a total of 37 people, 36 men and one woman, killed by Jonah Hex so far. Next time, Weird Western Tales number 18 in which Jonah Hex meets the Wolfman. For the Jonah Hex Podcast, I'm Scott Gardner. Thank you very, very much for listening. Feedback for this program can be sent to jonahhexpodcast at gmail.com. Death and the Acrid Smell of Gunsmoke, the Jonah Hex Podcast, is produced in association with the Two True Freaks Podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com and is a registered trademark of Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved.
Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands, battle station! What are you scratching at? Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle stations. Monthly Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. December 7th, Earth 2, 1941, a world very much like our own, yet slightly different, a date which will live in infamy, a world at war, the United States of America, was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All- Star Squadron. Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider, which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers, and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents Spider-Man, Spider-Man Does whatever a spider can Spins a web any size Catches seeds just like flies Look out, here comes the Spider-Man 
Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. Shoot him. Life is a great big pain. Wherever there's a pain, you'll find the Spider-Man. Hi, my name is Billy Hogan, host of the Superman Fan Podcast, which explores the world of Superman and the many creators who have added to his legacy over the decades. Episodes will feature creator biographies or highlight some of their top stories they have created as well as their top characters. Other episodes will feature topics appropriate to the holiday or the time of the year. For instance, Valentine's Day will feature stories about the women in Superman's life. April Fool's Day will feature some of the bizarre Superman Silver Age stories or some of the imaginary stories that have been published. Halloween will feature some of the scary Superman stories or some of his strange transformations, and, of course, some of the Christmas Superman stories. The website can be found at supermanfanpodcast.mypodcast.com. The blog is supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, and you can send email to supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. I also have a spoiler-free comic book review blog of the titles I read every week, which can be found at mypolllist.blogspot.com, and you can send email about this blog to mypolllist at gmail.com.